So I'd like to begin the meditation by asking um, those of you for whom it's easy to stand. <clears throat> so um, most of the time we're, we're a little bit habituated to um, thinking of meditation as being about sitting. That's why I want to start with getting you standing. Meditation is not about sitting. Meditation is about bringing awareness to the present moment. And it's not related to posture per se. If you have an easeful choice of standing on carpet rather than on your, your, your square mat, then it just makes it a little bit, you have a little bit more balance that way. Yeah. So letting your feet spread out your toes spread out, and starting not with something that's classically meditative, but grounding. There are points in the balls of your feet. And letting the feet connect with the carpet and with the ground underneath. And just allowing uh, an energetic anchor to drop from the ball of your feet into the earth beneath us. And way, 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 way deep into the earth. And so beneath, I don't know how many feet, you might even be able to feel or perceive some sense of warmth. So the earth is an anchor that we can energetically connect with. And I find it hugely supportive to help me relax and also to energize. So now continuing with the body, just softening the ankles and unlocking the knees so that they're bent just slightly. And then with our sacrum, we want the sitting bones to be just tucked under. Very subtly. So, you know, if we had a nice big bushy tail like a coyote or a fox, we'd tuck it between our legs. And that would put the sitting bones tucked under. And then the belly is soft, open, relaxed. And the spine elongates. And as the spine elongates, the neck also elongates. And the shoulders can just slip back and down slightly. And then the fingers, you can let the hands relax and let the fingers rest by the side, slightly curled. And when the neck elongates, the chin tucks in. And then the mouth relaxes, you might even have a slight smile on your face. The jaw might be a little bit open. So this is standing. So after a morning of activity, a flurry of getting here, of navigating roads and ice and cold and doors that were stuck, frozen shut, We can just come into the present moment and feel our body standing here. And relax. Relax the tension in our legs. And let the tension really drain into the earth beneath us. 
knowing that the earth has the intelligence of taking what is not useful for us and transforming it into something that's life-affirming. So our tension and our stress turns to compost, becomes fruit, fertile ground. Relaxing the legs, the big muscles in the legs so that we're standing, but our legs are as empty as possible. And relaxing the hips and the pelvis and the pelvic floor. Now allowing the muscles in the abdomen to relax, the muscles along the spine to relax, the big muscles in the back to relax. And just see if it's possible just to let the organs relax. That's like, okay, it's safe enough here. Can relax. Let the shoulders relax. And just feel the hands, the wrists, arms, and let them relax. Let the face relax. So one of the beauties of a situation like this is that we can drop the idea of having to be somebody. We can drop the idea of having to look good. How to impress. And just feel what is happening. So when we relax, then our body comes into some kind of an equilibrium, a resting state. And in this resting state, then we can energize. We can bring breath and awareness and life force that's in ourselves, that's in the room, that's in the earth around us, underneath us, supporting us through these energetic anchors. And with each in-breath, invigorate.
Invigorate the feet. And as we are bringing breath and awareness and life force into the feet, then what we want to do is to open up and receive what is present in awareness. To know it, to know the sensations, the tingling, the feelings of hot or cold, to know the feeling of pressure, of weight, to know what is arising without asking it to be different, but just opening, allowing, knowing what is there. Feeling the ankles. Feeling the legs. So allowing breath, awareness, and life force to move through the legs. And just notice what happens when this is invited. How much more there is to feel. Allowing breath, awareness, and life force to move into the hips, the pelvic floor. Moving into the torso. The lower torso, the middle torso, the upper torso. And all the way to the shoulders, the top of the shoulders. Energizing, allowing, invigorating, allowing breath, awareness, and life force into the shoulders. Now the hands. And the lower arms. And then the upper arms. And the neck and throat area. And the face. So really allow the life force, breath, and awareness to come into the face, the jaw, the mouth, the tongue, lips, cheeks, nose, ears, eyes, behind the eyes, the forehead. So that we have a direct experience of our face rather than an idea or an image of our face. Relaxing, energizing, allowing.
And now just take a moment and using memory, just considering how your body feels now as opposed to how it felt when you just started standing. So it's not ours. What's required is just focus of attention in some a capacity to relax and to energize. And just notice the difference, the way you feel. This is the miracle of meditation. This is the beauty of what we can tap into at any point. We have the ability. It's our choice. And now with similar care and attention, I invite each of us who are standing to return to sitting, watching, noticing sensations, movement, feeling as we come into a sitting posture. So sitting like standing is a meditation posture, and not the only one, but a meditation posture. And one of the reasons why it is often thought of is because it is helpful for letting the mind and body come into settledness. But in order for the mind and body to come into settledness, it's really useful to sit in a way that is conducive. So just like with standing, we started with some instruction on posture. We can do that also sitting. So what's really important is to get enough height underneath your hips The ideal configuration is if your knees are on the ground. And I think there are more cushions. So There are more cushions. So if you need to get another cushion, please feel welcome. Can you pass cushions over? Thank you. You can just put them in in, and see if anybody needs them. Yeah. So commonly people sit with their legs in front. There's another way of sitting with your legs beside. And that also will work. Yeah. What's helpful is, is that the, whatever which way you're sitting is stable and that your knees are on the ground if you can figure out how to get that to work. So in order for your, for your, the back to be happiest means that the sacrum is in the opposite relationship to the spine as it is standing. So, in standing we would take our nice big bushy tail and tuck it between our legs. Here we would tuck it, we would pull it up so it's on display. (laughs) So the sacrum is, the tailbone is slightly back, which means that the top of the hips are slightly forward in front of the sitting bones. And that's critical for getting the right balance. 
and getting the right alignment. And when that alignment is like that, then it allows the spine to elongate with as little effort as possible. So when the top of the hips are slightly in front of the sitting bones, then the spine can elongate. When the spine elongates effortlessly, then we can be upright and balanced with the least amount of strain on the body. There are a few people who are sitting in chairs. And if you're sitting in a chair and it's possible for you to sit on the edge of the chair, then that also can help. Though with some of those chairs it might be difficult. So sitting on the edge, and then if it's possible to have your feet flat on the ground, so that you're actually not having to lean, tilt your feet in any way, then that's also helpful. So with the posture aligned, that also supports balance, that we are not having to strain to resist the pull of gravity forward or resist the pull of gravity backwards. When we are balanced and aligned, that supports relaxation. So one of the things that is imperative to remember is is that our meditation has got to be based in relaxation. It's not coming from force. So there's sun in your eyes, and I think there is a, a, a cord to pull the shade. Yeah. Thank you for signaling. Yeah, good. So just like with standing, what we want to do initially is to let attention connect with and feel the body. And noticing sitting is different than standing. It has a different shape. It's got a different feeling. There are different qualities about it. And we can notice what they are. So we can also just take some time and deliberately go through the whole body and relaxing any place that is tense. So when we relax, we don't necessarily have a magic wand, but we can make an invitation. We can bring attention to an area that is tense and invite relaxation. And notice how the combination of attention and invitation affects tension. And we can start again from the top of the head. 
And just noticing if there's any tension in the scalp or in the brow, behind the eyes. the face and the jaw, the mouth. And as we're doing this, we're observing what happens when we bring attention and invitation to tension. And the curious thing is to do this without expectation. So showing up and letting go. Relaxing mouth, jaw, neck. Relaxing shoulders, chest, Abdomen. And coming back into the lakes. Relaxing any tension that's present in the legs, the knees, the lower legs, the feet. Coming back to the top of the head, going down the back of the scalp, the base of the skull, neck, shoulders, middle of the back, the lower part of the back, the hips, to the sitting bones, and once again into the arms, upper arm, elbows, lower arm, hands. So awareness has many different qualities to it. One of the qualities of awareness is is that it just knows what is there without any judgment, without any asking it to be otherwise. Just open, allowing, receptive. And another quality of awareness is a warmth, a loving kindness an interest, a coming close to, an embracing of. 
So awareness is not dry. Awareness has these two sides of knowing and warmth, interest of embracing. So one of the things that's really important to remember in a day like today is if the only thing that happens today is there's more intention on non-harming, then it would be a spectacularly important and successful day. It's really important to remember that as we bring our attention that we don't use that in a way to cultivate more harm. We don't use it to smash ourselves. to judge to condemn to shame, to disallow. But to open, to touch, to embrace, to know, to allow. Tuning into the quality of breathing, just noticing how quiet and still it is in this space. Just noticing the way the breath comes in, how you experience the in-breath. without controlling the breath, without wanting it to be any particular way, see if it is possible just to allow attention to settle and connect with the breath. There's an in-breath and there's an out-breath. In-breath energizes, the out-breath relaxes and releases. Can you see that? Can you feel that? 
and you let that be medicine that you bring to the present moment. If you are tired, put more attention on the in-breath. If you are stressed or tense or a little bit anxious or in any kind of physical discomfort, put more attention on the out-breath. So there's the quality of attention and the content of what we are experiencing, the quality of the breath. And there's the knowing of it. One of the things that's really important to remember in meditation, particularly for was starting a day, beginning meditation, is, is that we have this idea that if we lose track of what we are supposed to be paying attention to, that we've done something wrong. And one of the things that we need to know is, is that one of the muscles of meditation is the muscle of remembering. When we remember, that is what meditation is about. And so just like if we're going to the gym and swimming laps or riding a bike and pushing the pedal, we don't think we've done it wrong when we swim a lap or we've pushed the pedal because that's what we've come there to do. So when we remember, we're developing the muscle of remembering in the same way that we push the bike pedals or we swim a lap. It's part of what meditation is about, is remembering. So if our mind moves into thought or thinking about what happens next or the conversations that we had yesterday, then when we remember to come back to the breath, that is the muscle of remembering that we're exercising rather than something has gone wrong. So I'm looking at the clock and wondering about um, doing walking meditation now and uh, how that, it's a little bit tricky with, with, the, with the weather and stuff. Why don't we try it and see how it goes, yeah? So, um, walking meditation, like with standing and sitting, is a process of letting one's attention settle into one's body experience and using walking also to stabilize settledness 
focus, relaxation. So normally when we're walking, we're trying to get somewhere. And walking meditation is, we try and make it really clear we're not going anywhere. So what we'd like to do is like to have a, a path that we can walk back and forth on or some place that's just very clearly marked. So that the practice is about bringing the qualities of attention into the experience of walking itself. Alright? So oftentimes when we're walking, our attention goes out. We're looking at sights and sounds. We're, look, we're hearing sounds. We're looking at what everybody else is doing. Where our attention is focused on what's going on outside of us. In walking meditation, we want our attention to be very clearly rooted in our own body and to be aware, but inward. Do you have a sense of the difference? Yeah. So I just have a feeling that because the air in here is a little bit stuffy now, that it might be good if we could open the door and people could go outside and have a little bit of walking. Um, John, can we help you get up and you can do walking inside? Will that work for you? Yeah, okay, great. So um, people, um, let's see here, what should we do? How about if I give instructions on walking meditation and then people who would like to go outside can do? Um, we're going to need to have people who are going to be attentive when John needs to get up and down to give him a hand because he can't get out of that chair by himself. Yeah. So we need two two people to help with that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. And uh, okay. So let me give instructions on walking. So when we're see, this is fabulous. I can get up and I can move. It's just. <laughs> this is a brand new thing, you know, a wireless mic for me. And it's, you know, my voice tends to be very quiet. And everyone feels totally frustrated because they can't hear me. And I feel totally frustrated because it's really, when I have to put a huge amount of energy into speaking, it's straining. So this, I can speak as quietly as I want. Everyone can hear me. It's like, yes. <laughs> so wonderful. Okay, so um, pick a place. Um, there'll be some places inside. We've got halls. We've got the front. We've got the corridor here. There'll be places inside. Um, it's good um, to just have a, um, a pace, uh, some paces where you can walk, and to start with your feet uh, stopped and your attention rooted, and just feeling what it feels like to move your feet to lift and in sync. So I'm shifting on the out-breath, lifting on the in-breath and placing my foot on the in-breath. So in order to walk this slowly, you really have to relax. Because if you're not relaxed, you end up like this and it's just like not at all any fun. So I'm attentive to the sensations in my feet. I'm attentive to this experience of balance. And I'm putting together the breath and the feet. And come to the end of your space. Stop and feel yourself stop. And then shift. Again. Breathing in, on the in-breath, lifting, placing 
shifting on the out-breath. So really slowing it down. And one of the values of slowing it down is that we can see sometimes more things that are going on. So that's one kind of walking. And that kind of walking is really helpful when there's a lot of thought. Because to put your breath and your feet together like that means that you really have to pull the whole thing together. So it cuts through the thinking process. It's really fabulous. But it's not going to work if you're tense because you'll just get more tense because you have to be so slow. So another kind of walking is just walking at a normal pace and feeling the contact of the feet on the ground and the breath, but not so slow, just regular kind of pace. When you stop, just make sure you really stop. Feel your feet grounded and then turn. And then another kind, which will be hard for me to do unless we clear. Can we clear the cushions out of the way? It's faster. So if if you're tired, if you're sleepy, if you're falling asleep because there's not enough air in here, you know, whatever's going on, then just to walk as fast as possible. And come to the stop. Put your feet on the ground. Really connect yourself, stop, and then really as fast as you can. So with ice on the road or on the parking lot, that's a skating rink out there. You know, nobody get extra points for breaking bones. But, you know, there are the sidewalk doesn't have ice on it in places so that you can really, you know, get some air, wind back and forth. So, again, you're not looking at the minutiae of movement. You're just looking to stay connected inwardly and move the body very quickly to energize and all the rest of that. Now, let me just give you a little context, and then we can um, move and be inside or outside as is needed. In the forest tradition, which is the tradition that I originally ordained in, okay, You had a lot of um, men, uh, monks, and many of them were very young. Um, So they ordained, I don't know what age, but they ordained young. They did not sit down to meditate. Like, never. Never. They did walking meditation, and they would walk for two, three, four, five, six, seven hours, but they would not sit down to meditate. And part of that, I can imagine, is what happens when you're a young man and you're celibate. It's like you've got a lot of energy. (laughs) And so they would just walk and they would use the walking meditation as their main meditation practice. So, you know, we have a society in the West where people don't ever stand in for meditation. Walking is weird. And so, you know, the whole thing is based on or focused on sitting. So what we need to know is, is that rather than clamp down on a particular posture, that each of these postures have particular uses and applications and that we can use all of them when they're useful. My favorite meditation posture is lying down. And for decades now I've done that. And, you know, I was sick for a long time and I didn't have the energy to sit up. And now when I go into the Garden of the Gods and I lie down, I have like maximum physical contact with rocks. And to me that puts me, it's like a porthole into a place of pure presence. And so that's my first objective is to go and lie down on the rocks. And then when I do that, it's like I drop into another space. And then when I then sitting up, it is of such an exquisite caliber of relaxation and wakefulness 
it's a totally different experience than when I try and just muscle myself up into relaxing. If we had more space or fewer of us, I'd have us do lying down, but this would be like a cuddle pile. (laughs) And that's what they were doing on the last weekend, and I passed from that, so... I won't I won't ask you guys to do the same thing. Okay? So are there questions about walking? Yes, please. Walking? Yes. Definitely yes. There the special circumstances when it's lovely to walk with your eyes closed, but that would be like in the sand or you know, if you're in snow and it actually is really soft to fall over. Okay, there's no ice on the ground that you need to worry about. And you don't have a sardine can that you're having to navigate around. So in this context, I can't see how having your eyes closed would be helpful at all. Yeah, um, But it's a good point because there are times when walking with your eyes closed is really lovely because you have to feel balance in a totally different way, in the same way that walking at night can be really lovely because it's like you have to walk with the sensations with your feet rather than the visual clues having have giving you the same information. Yeah? Are there other questions? Okay. So let's walk. And um, what I'd like you to be back here is be back here um, maybe in a half an hour. Yeah, let's be back here in a half an hour. So we'll be back here sitting. I've got five minutes to 11. That clock says a little bit. It's a little bit different. We'll be here back here at 11.30. So between shoes off and on and in and out and all the rest of that, you know, however long it takes us. Yeah. Um, you're all from Colorado, so I don't need to say, but when it's really cold, it actually means that we get dehydrated more. So we need to drink more, especially if we're going to be outside. And don't get yourself cold. If you're cold, come back in. So it's an impressive lot of people who can get back here on time, get gold stars for 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 being able to do that. Lovely. Um, I want to break uh, soon for our meal break, and and before I do that, I want to say just a little bit about um, this, and and um, and a little bit more about the way that I live. So um, this is an alms ball, and one of the um, requirements for being a nun and the tradition that I have is is that I need robes and I need an alms bowl. And the alms bowl is like my way of, of um, supporting myself. So in a traditional culture like Thailand or Sri Lanka or um, you know the monks and the nuns, they actually take their alms bowl and they walk down the streets and then that's the mechanism by which they eat. And so wherever they go, they can take their alms bowl and whatever things that they have, and they can always have food because they can always go on alms round. So um, I have my alms bowl, and I eat out of my alms bowl almost every day. And um, even though I'm living in Colorado and there's not a lot of people who understand this culture, I still go on alms round. And so most Sundays I go on alms round in Manitou Springs, and then in the summertime, there's a farmer's market, and I go on alms round in the farmer's market. And, you know, often is the case, people, you know, they don't know who I am. And, you know, one year, you know, towards the end of the farmer's market is October. You know, they're selling pumpkins. So I was standing near the pumpkins, and they thought I was selling pumpkins. I mean... <laughs> But 
But the, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it is because, um, you know, the life that we live, particularly in North America, but not exclusively North America, somebody wants to get in, um, is very transactional. Absolutely everything is transactional. If you want something, you have to pay for it, and if you pay for it, you payment for stuff or for services rendered. Yeah, that's the deal. And, you know, the life of an alms mendicant is on a, like a different, it's like, it's a different planet. It's not, you know, it's just a different planet. And the planet is, is not on, it's not transactional, it's based on generosity. Okay? So in a traditional system, and in my system, you know, I don't buy food. Okay? People give me the things that I eat. And so it's like, all right, so if there's an interest to support the people who are living this way, there's got to be some resonance that there's a reason why it's good to take care of them, right? So it's like, you know, with people that you care about in your family, it's like, you know, the feeling with a, with somebody in your family is, is can I, what can I give so that they can flourish? That kind of feeling? So it's not like, what can I get, give them so that I can get back from them? It's a very different feeling. Okay, but because we just don't, we don't, we're not used to that. We're just so not used to that that there's a curious question about how do we, um, how do we teach that? How do I, how do I show up for that in a way that allows people to learn? Welcome. So um, this is my alms bowl, and I take it on alms round in Manitou Springs. And in some, if for some reason, which I haven't quite figured out, people don't think I need to eat in the wintertime. In the summertime, they're quite happy to offer me things, but in the wintertime, it's very rare, you know, that I get um, people actually offering me meals or enough food to eat for a meal, you know. So if the only thing I lived on was the alms that I got in Manitou Springs, either I would be a lot skinny or I wouldn't be here at all, you know. So I've had to make adaptations that, are um, you know as the uh, that are sustainable, you know, because it, it just it, there's not enough people who understand that. But like here, we've got Robin and Darcy and Sierra, and they have all been just phenomenally supportive in understanding how um, my life is and bridging and communicating and making it possible for me to live in the way that I do, so that I can I can eat and I I'm actually very healthy, so it's great. And we can talk more at the end about if you're wanting to loop in uh, and connect more, you know, how to do that. So um, we have a meal time now. And what I'd like to do is go on alms round. So what I'd like you to do is to get your pack lunches and line up in whichever, like some kind of a circle formation. So we won't all fit out there. So however we need to line up, whether it needs to be in the hall or in here, or whatever it needs to be so that there's a line. And then I will take my alms bowl, and and everyone who has something to offer, you can put something in my bowl, okay? Now, you have to realize this is not like pretend. This is like, this is the food I'm going to eat for today, okay? <laughs> What's that? And probably what will happen is I'll have more than I can eat. So I'll put it on a tray out there. And then if anyone wants to share in potluck, and Darcy and John, because of driving me up yesterday, they didn't bring so that I'd like to ask them to help themselves first, then help yourselves. And then if there's things left over that I can take back to the hermitage, if that's okay, then I can do that. Is that all right? Yeah? Um, 
And let me just tell you another sweet story, because this is one of the things that's like, it's, you know, it's a little bit like visiting another planet, really, you know. It's a, just a different lifestyle. And, you know, there's a, there's certainly, obviously, I, I have to admit, there's a fair amount of vulnerability in this, you know. I, I, I definitely see that, but there's also a just, uh, uh, qualities of beauty and there's somebody else at the door that are hard to, um, in our normal transactional world, it's hard to really place. So let me just tell you a story that has happened to me a few times. This is not a one-off story. So I take my alms bowl into an area, and I'm standing for alms, and usually people think that I'm begging for money, okay? So they, you know, they're going to offer me something. So they open their their whatever, their book or their, their pocketbook or their wallet, and they're handing me money. So then I say, well, actually, I can't handle money. And then the face goes like, all right. So what are you, what are you doing? You know? And then when they ask, I can say, okay, so I say, I'm here collecting food for the day. Or I'm here collecting food for, for my meal. So sometimes they, they say, okay, well just wait and I'll be back. And one time when I was in Manitou Springs last year, I was in Manitou Springs, same happened. A woman came, never met me before. I was standing on the street. She offered me some money. I said I couldn't receive it. And she said, just wait, I'll be back. She comes back with two bags of groceries. Okay? Two bags of groceries. So I, she doesn't know me. She has no idea who I am. All right? We've only met. And so I say, well, you know, generally what happens when I receive offerings is I chant a blessing. Would it be all right for me to do that? She said, yeah, that's okay. So I said, it's going to be in a language you don't understand. But what it's about is the blessings that come from generosity. So just focus your attention on your own goodness. That's all I said. And the floodgates release. So we're standing on the street with the cars driving past. She's known me like a minute. She's just offered me two bags of groceries. She's crying. The tears are streaming down her face. And the chant finishes. And she says, Sister, thank you. This is part of the beauty of the life that I live. Is that it can land in that place of people. Where they give and they feel gifted through giving. So we have an opportunity to play, to see what alms round feels like, to see what it feels like to, to offer food, to offer nourishment, to, to be able to see that I can live my life because there are people who help support me with things like food. You know? So please go get your lunch bags and we'll circle up and I'll go on alms round. Okay. So let me just uh, stand here. So, you know, there's an enormous amount of generosity that comes to making a day like this happen. You know, a huge amount. Hours of work that Sierra and Sean have put into creating the space before we got here and then also making it possible for us to come. Everybody's willingness to show up, the willingness to support each other in such a kind of a clear, attentive, conscious way, the willingness to actually live with harmlessness, Harmlessness is a phenomenal kind of generosity. 
And then the offerings here, which obviously you can see is, you know, about 20 times more than I'd possibly be able to eat. So, you know, there's this irony of being an alms mendicant, which is that sometimes there's very little, and sometimes the abundance is just unimaginable. Yeah? But what we can each touch into is the generosity in our own hearts, our own efforts in showing up, what we have done to make this happen, the beauty of this offering. And let that goodness be something that we feel in our bones and something we share in this space with everybody here, with all of our family and friends, with the planet that supports us. So I'm going to chant a blessing chant and just let your attention rest in your own goodness and the collective goodness that we are in the middle of. Okay? Sabiti Uiwajantu Sabadoko Winasahatu Mate Bawantwantarayo Suki Te Kayuko Bawa Abiwadana Sile Sani Chabuta Pachahino Jahata Rodamawatanti Ayuano Sukang Bahala Bawanti Sabamanga Lang Rakanti Sabade Wada Sababu Danu Bawena Sadasoti Bawantu De Bawanti Sabamanga Lang Rakanti Sabade Wada Sabadamanu Bawena Sadasoti Bawantu De Bawanti Sabamanga Lang Rakanti Sabade Wada Sabasangani Bawena Sadasoti Bahawan to